I'm Liz Sauer, and this is Ghosts in the Burbs, a podcast about the people of Wellesley, Massachusetts, and the ghosts and monsters who haunt them. A warning. Adults who use adult language tell me these frightening tales. These ghost stories aren't for kids. Hello again. This should be the first in a batch of five to six stories. I've decided that I don't have the bandwidth for my usual social media barrage, so I won't be announcing each episode. But if there is a delay, I'll post to Instagram to let you know. I'm aiming, as always, for every other Friday. So let's get into it. We're on to ghost story number 75. I am telling you right now, that motherfucker is not real. Why didn't you tell me she could see you? Claire shrugged. It didn't feel like my business to share. She's six years old. She doesn't have business, I snapped. Who has she interacted with, aside from the garage ghost and Claire and the alien down the street, Claire added. Right, Judith sighed, and the alien. She hasn't interacted with the alien, thank God. The garage ghost, Mr. Darby, Claire interjected. Yeah, I acknowledged. He warned her to stay away from that thing. Other than that, I don't know what she's seen. It was such a shock to hear her talking about ghosts. I tried to play it cool so I didn't freak her out or make her feel like I was as freaked out as I am. It was the morning after Kat shared with me that she could not only see Theodore the alien across the street, but that the ghosts of the man who used to live in our house had warned her not to go anywhere near him. I texted Judith as soon as I could and we arranged to Zoom. She was in Connecticut consulting on a house exorcism. Like, for real. It's so weird that you can see Claire over Zoom, I commented. It is. Jump scare, Claire exclaimed, appearing beside Judith on the screen. Don't do that, Judith admonished. That is so creepy, I said through my laughter. Space and time are but an illusion, Claire intoned, earning a chuckle from Judith. Then she groaned. Ugh, the energy around you is awful, before reappearing beside me. You're telling me, Judith agreed. The house I'm working on is one of the darkest I've ever encountered. That's saying a lot, I commented. What's going on? The property used to be part of an old boarding school. The house I'm working on belonged to the headmaster, and as satanic panic as it sounds, I think he may have been into ritual sacrifice. Good lord, I muttered. He was sacrificing kids? Claire exclaimed. How did no one notice? Judith snorted. No, not kids. Animals. It's really dark-sided. I don't know how they've managed to live there. I wouldn't make it through one night in that place. She shuddered. The family has three little kids, and honestly, they creep me out almost as much as the house does. I can't wait to get out of here. Be careful, I offered. I always am, she replied dismissively. So... What are we going to do with little cat? I feel so guilty that I didn't notice she was talking to ghosts. And dogs, Claire said, matter-of-factly. What? I'm pretty sure she can talk to your dogs. Stop it. I'm serious. That little terrier one? Wallace? Yeah, he doesn't give a shit about what you want from him, but Cat literally talks to him like he's a little person, and he listens to her. Is that possible? I directed the question to Judith. Sure, why not? She replied. There is one other thing. She can see auras. 
Oh, Judith drawled. Wow. Sure, why not to talking to dogs, but seeing auras gets an oh wow? She's powerful, especially for a six-year-old. How do you know she's seeing auras? I directed the question to Claire. She said her dad glows blue, surrounded by yellow. What does that mean? I asked. I don't know. Google it. I groaned in frustration. How can we put the brakes on this? On what? Judith asked. Cat's abilities. She's way too little. I didn't start with all this until I was in my 30s. I wonder what your imaginary friends would say to that, Judith asked, eyebrows raised. How do you know I had imaginary friends? I didn't, but you just proved my point. It's not fair, I said, trying to keep my voice even. She's too young. She doesn't seem to mind, Claire offered. Well, I mind, I said too harshly. What are you afraid of? asked Judith. That she's going to see something that really scares her. That she'll hear something she's too young to handle. That kids are going to notice that she's different and avoid her. That she'll get depressed or anxious or angry. That it'll interrupt her sleep or her learning or her healthy development. That it'll ruin her life. My rant was met with silence. I scrubbed the tears from my cheeks. She's just a little girl. She shouldn't be talking to strangers regardless of whether they're dead or alive. If you try to repress her gifts, it will unquestionably harm her mental health, even if the damage isn't felt until later. It isn't fair to stunt her like that. There are no mistakes. She's been given these gifts for a reason. We'll just have to find a way to protect her. I nodded. I'll keep an eye on her, and I assume she'll develop a relationship with her own guide sooner or later. Claire's voice was drowned out by the dog's crazed barking. Bernie, I yelled ineffectively. Wallace, shut up. Stop. See, they don't listen to you, Claire commented knowingly. You're moving again, right? Judith asked. I nodded. You'd better be real careful where you land this time. I just got a knowing. She paused, looking down at her lap for a long moment before continuing. Choose well. Looks like you're going to be there for a while. No more running. I could only sigh in response. The following week, I found myself sitting in Tate, across from a stunningly gorgeous woman. Sophia Cruz looked like she'd just stepped out of a North Face rock climbing ad. She was a relatively recent transplant to Wellesley, and she'd learned of my ridiculousness from a friend of an acquaintance and asked to be put in touch. Hi, I'm Sophia. Noelle gave me your number. I hope you don't mind. I'm dealing with a situation and would really love to get your input. Could I treat you to lunch at Tate? My schedule is totally flexible. I promise I'll only take an hour of your time. <sighs> only an hour of my time. Ugh. I didn't even have 15 minutes to share at the moment. But I also didn't feel like I could say no to the request. I sort of felt obligated to the aforementioned acquaintance, Noelle, because... She helped me with this really annoying, time-consuming PTO thing recently that no one else wanted to deal with. So if she'd shared my number, that meant she knew the woman needed help and she'd definitely hear about it if I blew off her request. I hemmed and hawed for a second, considering pushing it off a week, but the devil only knew what other obligations were on the way, so I determined that it would be best to just get the meeting over with. But an hour was precious to me at that moment. Yes, I know how utterly absurd it is that we are moving again, but Chris and I have promised both each other and the girls that this will be the last move. Until they're out of high school, probably, most likely. I mean, we promise that we'll settle down in this house for at least, like, 
five years. And then I know everyone is both sick to death of hearing me talk about it and skeptical that it even exists at this point, but I have finally pulled myself together enough to figure out how to rewrite the book I've been working on for years. When I got the text from Sophia, I was right in the middle of the chapter by chapter final edit slash tweak thing I was doing. It's my own damn fault this book has taken so long. The story started as a straight, cozy mystery. I.e. woman moves into a new town, trips over a couple dead bodies, and figures out which one of her neighbors did it. But then it morphed into cozy horror. And then I decided to go, like, full horror. There are characters I love and couldn't let go, so I had to figure out how they each fit into the, all the iterations. And it goes without saying that I really don't know what I'm doing. But aside from moving constantly and fucking up that book over and over again, there is one other thing you can count on from me. I love hearing people tell me their scary stories. So I allowed myself a couple moments of hemming and hawing and poor busy meing, knowing the whole time that I was going to say yes. I'd be happy to meet up at Tate. Does Tuesday work? Yes, thank you. 11.30? Perfect. So there went another precious hour probably more, which was fine, really. I can't share interviews with you if I don't have interviews to share. So there I was, sitting across from a gorgeous, obviously nervous woman. We ordered lunch, me a chicken pita, Sophia the biscuit and egg sandwich, and we're waiting for our meals, our order numbers displayed in their metal stands on the table. How long have you been in Wellesley? She asked. Hmm, I think it's been about 10 years. How about you? Since August, she replied her smile a touch tight and forced. It's an adjustment, I offered. Oh, it is, but the school's been really great and I've managed to get us completely unpacked. That's quick. Where'd you guys move from? Seattle. Wow, that's a big move, I said, stating the obvious. I was trying to get a read on her situation, but I'd sort of shut down my abilities as best I could. Claire wasn't around. Sometimes she just isn't. And I didn't want to go into meeting this woman wide open. Tate's always packed, and I wasn't in the mood to attract other people's ghosts. We moved to be closer to my husband's family, Sophia explained. Just then our sandwiches arrived, so we took a few minutes to enjoy them and continue the small talk. She's lonely, I thought, as we chatted, and my instinct to swoop in and fix the situation began to gnaw at me. I did my best to shut it down. I have a tendency to make assumptions, go all in, and then find myself resentful and confused in a one-sided relationship that I've created. I keep my little social circle little by design. I have a wicked codependent streak, and it has caused devastation in my past, so I keep my walls up pretty high. I don't trust myself not to misread signs and then overwhelm people, then get overwhelmed myself, and then ghost. I do best in settings where expectations are laid out very clearly. And if I'm ever feeling too lonely, I can always find a dead person and be happy to chat. So I could sense that Sophia was lonely, but I could also acknowledge that it wasn't my responsibility to fix that for her. If we became friends, we did, but it wouldn't be because I made one of my little projects out of trying to make her happy. I was chewing my last bite of sandwich when Sophia admitted, I've been seeing something Really weird. That's why I wanted to talk to you. I heard about your blog from some moms at Schofield, and I was just going to email you, but thought it might be better to reach out through someone you know, so I asked around, and one of the moms put me in touch with Betsy, who gave me your phone number. She said it quickly, like a confession. I'm glad you texted, I reassured her. 
I don't check the email tied to the blog as often as I should. She nodded, then took a sip of water. I hear really wild things all the time, I offered reassuringly. Right. No, I know. Sorry. Her eyes darted around the cafe. I had my back to the room while she sat facing out. I fought the urge to turn to see what she seemed to be scanning for. Instead, I allowed myself to open up a little bit, just to be sure I could sense if there was anything creepy lurking around. But everything felt relatively normal. Here goes, Sophia began. So, we are on our way back from Stowe. It was a really nice weekend. We used to spend so much time outdoors back home. Vermont felt familiar. It was nice. Don't get me wrong, Wellesley's nice too, and we've been surprised to find so much trail space in town, but it's just different, you know? The move's been an adjustment. It's fine, I mean, it's good, and being closer to family. My husband's parents are in Needham, but, you know, we thought they'd want to be more not involved, like we didn't think they'd be watching our kids or anything, but we thought they'd have more interest in getting to know them. I'm going off course here, sorry. No, I totally get it. She sighed. I thought maybe once we were spending more time together, they would move past like surface level interactions with my kids. You see other grandparents like, sorry, it's not right to compare, but we end up listening in depth about their lives and it's all laced with expectation, you know? Meanwhile, God forbid I mention something going on with us. It's just met with freaking platitudes. Family, I offered uselessly. I'm sorry. I barely know you and I'm airing my dirty laundry. I have that effect on people, I joked. I'd always rather talk about everyone's dirty laundry anyways. It's honest. I want to flip the table listening to people go on and on about their fabulously talented kids' soccer schedules or how stressful it's been having their kid apply to five Ivy Leagues. Worries are so much more interesting. (laughs) I agree, Sophia said, looking only slightly relieved. It's only been a couple months. I think it's just the shock of so much interaction and so little support. Uh, My therapist says I'm supposed to work on my boundaries and expectations. Same, I chuckled. So, okay, I'll get back on track. The thing that happened on the trip home from Stowe, it's the only thing that might have caused what's happened. I mean, what changed, how I've changed. Sophia's eyes darted around the cafe again, and she scooched her chair forward. We stopped at one of those rest areas on the way home from Stowe. Have you been? To that huge rest stop with a food court? Yeah, she laughed. I meant Stowe, but no, it wasn't the big one with the food court. We did stop there for lunch, but then we pulled into this little one closer to home for the bathroom. It was just a small brick building, like just bathrooms and those rows of metal stands for vacation pamphlets. Because I was the only one to go in. So I zipped in, washed my hands, came back out, and slipped on a wet spot near the front door. The next thing I knew, I was staring up at a crowd of strangers. The kids were crying, and Jim, my husband, was talking to a woman who happened to be a nurse. Someone else had apparently called 911, and they were all waiting for the ambulance to get there. Jeez, that's awful. How long were you out? A few minutes, maybe ten? Long enough that Jim got nervous that I wasn't back to the car and came in to look for me. I was able to sit up. My head hurt and I felt incredibly nauseous, but I was fine. I shook my head in disbelief. 
Well, right. I wasn't fine, but I wouldn't let the paramedics take me to the hospital over a concussion. I was okay to walk back to the car, but then I was really out of it for three days after the fall. I literally felt buzzed, like I'd had a couple glasses of wine, but it wasn't any fun. And this horrendous headache settled behind my eyes. It was so bad I had to wear sunglasses all the time. I was really photosensitive. Text in brackets. Now, excuse me, but if I don't get this out right now, I might literally explode. At that moment with Sophia, I did not yell out, the children are photosensitive, a la Nicole Kidman and the others. And that was very difficult for me. When I hear that word, that iconic line demands expression. But I pinched my lips together and kept it in. And I think we can all feel good about that. But you know I had to take a moment to say it here. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Back to Sophia and brackets. And then out of nowhere, it broke. Like one minute I was squinting my eyes with the curtains drawn and then poof, I was fine. Better than fine. This is going to sound unbelievable, but, but I don't need my reading glasses anymore. Whoa, really? Sophia nodded. Did you get checked out at all? I went into my primary care that Monday. She said it was a grade four concussion. Huh, how high does the scale go? Up to four. If you lose consciousness for longer than a minute, you land in the top tier. And you were out for about 10? At least. Sophia. I know, but I made light of it because I don't like anyone to fuss over me. The headache was gone after three days. I didn't need my glasses anymore. And I felt amazing. Better than I ever have, actually. Almost like euphoric. Uh-oh. I commented, sensing that the bottom was about to drop out in her story. Mm, yeah. The first time it happened, I almost didn't catch it. That's not accurate. I caught it. I just thought I wasn't seeing what I was seeing. She scanned the cafe again, leaned forward, and lowered her voice. Listen, some people are not people. The way she said it, the tone, the way she held eye contact, it chilled me to my core. I wondered if she might have knocked something loose in the fall, something that had nothing to do with the paranormal, something worse. I'm not crazy, she said quickly, accurately reading the look on my face. No, I know, I replied just as quickly. Oof, you just scared me a little. Sorry, I should have had you over to my house instead of meeting in public. No thanks, I thought. I said, why? They might not like me talking about them. The people who aren't people. Right, so, okay, we live near the middle school and I walk there with my oldest most mornings. He's, well, he's very young for his age, so he still likes to do that sort of thing with me. I just waved goodbye and was turning to head back home when I bumped into one of the other parents, a mom. She was headed into the school. It looked like she was dropping off something. At least that's what I assumed. She was carrying a big reusable grocery bag full of clothing. I knocked it out of her hands when we collided and I apologized and bent down to pick it up. When I looked at her to apologize again, I saw it. She wasn't in there. She'd been replaced. I knew immediately she wasn't a person anymore. I could see the shimmer of the thing inside her, like it was imposed right beneath her surface. What was it? I think, no, I'm pretty sure it's aquatic. I know that doesn't make any sense. 
but it shimmers a little underneath. Like when you're looking down into a stream at a rock or something, you know, it's so subtle. They float inside people. Like the person's body is their body of water. Whoa. There's another way to tell. You can sort of see it in the shape of their face. It's stretched a little thin, just a little, like it's being pulled tight. Ugh, I'm not describing it well. You know how sometimes you'll see someone whose face is puffy, like they're retaining water? Totally, I said, wondering if she were in fact referencing my own face. It's not like that. Oh, I said, somehow relieved. It's almost like their skull is straining against their skin, like there just isn't enough room for everything. Oh, I repeated, this time disgusted. But it's subtle. It's really subtle. Are there any of them here now? I asked, realizing after I said it that it might come across as condescending. Have you seen any this morning, I mean? Yes, she whispered. Who? You know that big wooden farm table? There are two women talking to each other? Both of them. I only had to turn my head slightly to see who she was talking about. I met the gaze of one of the women, then lifted my hand in an awkward half-wave before turning back to face Sophia. I know one of those women. I mean, I used to. Oh, no, I'm really sorry. Does she look any different to you? I resisted the urge to turn back around and stare. I don't think so. It's true, though. You're block. You can see ghosts and other stuff. Yes, but you've never seen anything like I'm describing. No, not at all. I have no idea what would do that. Sounds like a possession, but different. I have heard of walk-ins, but that's like a ghost or another soul coming in and taking over someone's life when their soul decides they've had enough. That can happen? I shrugged. I've only read about it. Well, I can definitely say that's not what this is. How can you be sure? It's alien, Sophia whispered. They're aliens. Aquatic aliens? I'm pretty sure this is how they survive on land, Sophia said. No way. I just watched a show about USOs. She shook her head, not knowing what I was talking about. Unidentified submerged objects, like UFOs, but in the ocean. The Navy documented them. Some people think that there may be alien bases located along the ocean floor. Text in brackets. For a fun deep dive into this topic, check out Expedition X Season 3, Episode 6, Aliens of the Deep, and Episode 7, Into, uh, wait, into the Alien Ocean. Josh Gates is one of my favorites. End brackets. Really? said Sophia. This makes so much sense, I enthused. She actually laughed out loud. Oh my god, no it doesn't, like at all. But I am so relieved that you believe me. It's fucking terrifying, but it's also kind of brilliant if you think of it. Using us as like reverse wetsuits. Gross. Totally. Oh shit, oh no, they're coming over here. I didn't have to ask. I knew immediately who she meant. Hi there. We'll call her Wellesley Blonde number one. Hello, followed Wellesley Blonde number two. Liz, it's good to see you. You too, 
I replied in as convincing a tone as I could manage. Blonde number one introduced us to blonde number two. Mm, this is Sophia. She's new to Wellesley, I offered. Yet you two are already as thick as thieves, number one commented. I looked over and saw sheer terror on Sophia's face. I'm sorry, she whimpered. I looked back at blonde number one. Well, nice to see you. Take care, I said, attempting to dismiss them. The women stared down at us, their faces void of expression. It was eerie. They're hovering over us like that, Tate busy and swirling with life behind them. I was about to get up and drag Sophia outside with me when blonde number two spoke. Welcome to town. Do you do Orange Theory? Sophia blinked in confusion. No, she replied, obviously on the brink of tears. They have them in Seattle. No, blonde number one said, her affect utterly flat. The women stood there, motionless for a beat, then turned in unison and walked lockstep out of the cafe. I stayed up way too late again that night, scrolling through TikTok, the pit in my stomach deepening. I downloaded the app and deleted it every single day, swearing I'd take time off, knowing I was letting time slip away as I scrolled, both numbed out and terrified by what I saw unfolding. The constant pull of the app reminded me of those nights not so long ago when I decided not to have a glass of wine every morning, only to find myself pouring just one at night. Breaking promises to myself was never a good sign for my mental health. Chris had a late skate. His hockey game didn't start until 10 p.m., so the house was quiet around me, save for Bernie's little snores. I finally forced myself to look up from the screen and get up from the couch. Doing my usual rounds, I filled the coffee pot and set it to brew for 5.30, hoping, as I do every night, that Ivy would sleep in just a little bit for once. I scooped up Wallace, he won't climb anything more than five steps, and deposited him on the second floor before continuing up to the third to check on my two oldest. Both were sound asleep in their rooms as expected. I switched off their bedside lights, grabbed three empty water glasses, and headed back down. Cat's door wasn't closed completely, but close to it. That was unusual. She's in all the lights on and make sure the door is wide open kind of girl. I heard a noise that I made out to be paper turning and the shuffling of colored pencils. Buddy, it's way past bedtime, I said, nudging the door open with my foot. What are you... Cat lay on the floor on her tummy, head bent over one of her little spiral notebooks, drawing... There was a little girl beside her, watching her color. Oh, I exclaimed, almost dropping all the water glasses. Who's this? I asked, not wanting to scare Kat. The little blonde ghost girl sitting beside my daughter met my gaze, and the gentle smile she'd been wearing turned into a snarl. Claire, I called out in a whisper. When there was no sign of her and no reply, I demanded, Claire! She was behind me an instant later. I'm not going in there. What is it? I asked in a low voice, hoping to neither panic cat nor trigger the thing emanating evil sitting crisscross applesauce on my daughter's purple rug. It's lower level, but that thing is demonic. Where did it come from? When Claire didn't reply, I directed the same question to Cat, in an unnaturally sing-song voice. Honey, where did you meet your new friend? 
Cat stared down at the page in front of her and kept scribbling, which was not like her at all. My kids can be as kid-like as anyone else's, but they never ignore me. Catherine, I said in my most serious mom voice, who is this? Andrus, she said without looking up. Claire gasped. Cat, come here right now, I demanded without another thought. Mom, now. The little blonde ghost girl, who wasn't really a little blonde ghost girl, stood. Not you, I said, trying very hard to keep my voice steady. You are not welcome on this property. Leave now. The girl demon's blue eyes didn't just widen, they literally grew bigger. Standing in my little girl's room was an uncanny valley version of a seven-year-old little girl. Some other I was, scrolling away on TikTok while my daughter was upstairs coloring with a demon. I cast you out of my home, I said as forcefully as I could. It growled. That got cat moving. She jumped up, ran out of the room, and beat feet down the hall to my bedroom. Leave. This is my house. You have no authority here. I retract all invitations. Get out. The thing growled again. We heard you the first time, Claire said, with all the force of an angry teenage girl. The little demon turned away from us, walked to one of Kat's bedroom windows, put a hand flat against the pane of glass, growled something terrible, and then was gone. Go sit with Kat, I ordered Claire. I ran upstairs, woke the other girls, and brought them down to our bedroom. I salted the doorways and windowsills throughout the house for good measure and let them all watch their iPads until Chris got home. When he did, we got the girls set up with blankets on our floor, and when they were finally asleep, I apologized for not telling him right away that Cap was like me, that I felt guilty, and that it was all my fault. He was worried for her, but glad I'd talked to Judith about it and understood why it had been hard for me to tell him. And then I told him I'd just banished a demon from our house about 40 minutes prior. And then he was really pissed. Terrified beyond reason, but pissed. There's nothing in this house, I reassured him. I went through. It's all clear. How can you be sure that thing isn't going to get back in here? It can't. How did it get in here in the first place then? I hesitated, not wanting to place blame anywhere. It's possible, I mean probable, that Cat might maybe have invited it onto our property. I thought demons or ghosts or anything else couldn't come anywhere near our house. It wasn't the time to mention Mr. Darby. They can't, unless we invite them. Like, how Claire can be here. We have to shut this down. My cell phone buzzed with an incoming text. It's Judith, I told Chris. Claire's here. What the hell is going on? Cat may have invited a demon into the house by accident that she didn't realize was a demon. That apple didn't fall far. You in the clear? Yes. I'll be there tomorrow, 10 a.m. I could almost hear her sigh through the text. I looked up at Chris. What did she say? She'll be here tomorrow morning. Thank God, he said, which, as ridiculous as it sounds, given the circumstances, stung a little. I'd already taken care of it. As much as our religions and the movies and the stories I've shared in the past may lead us to believe anyone can banish a demon who hasn't had time to establish a foothold. You just have to mean it. 
Thankfully, Kat had only just met the thing, so it hadn't had long to work its confusing logic on her and convince her she needed him. The second it growled at us, it broke the little bit of hold it had over her, scaring her enough to change her mind about it. Then all it took was me telling it to get out and meaning it, and I did. I'll call Father McGonagall in the morning, Chris offered. Let's hold off on that until we talk to Judith, okay? There was a demon in this house. Right, but it wasn't like... Look, I don't want to ask Father McGonagall for help unless we are really desperate, and that is not at all what this situation is. Judith will talk to Kat about her new abilities, and we'll figure out how to keep her safe. This is terrifying, Chris whispered, almost as if he hadn't meant to say it aloud. It is, I agreed leaning into his chest for a hug. I can't go to sleep like this, he sighed. We'll watch one of your gold mining shows until you're tired. No, I mean, I have to shower. I can't go to bed without showering after hockey. Realization hit me. It's okay. I'll sit in the bathroom and read while you're in the shower. This has been Ghosts in the Burbs. Good night, sleep tight, and don't forget your nightlight.